Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Te territory within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmagulu. And today's text, Night Books, takes place in Brooklyn, New York sort of geographically (laughs) um the traditional lands of the muncie lenape and karnarzi peoples and uh joe this is i think are we getting towards the end of horror month i feel like we must be indeed yeah this is our last episode of spooky content (laughs) and this uh is night books by j.a white which was a novel from 2018 and a recent uh netflix adaptation i guess they released it just for this halloween right absolutely yeah it came out back in september and it's honestly quite a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Joe, did you catch that this is kind of a rewriting of the framing narrative for A Thousand and One Nights? So they definitely mention that in the film, but I hadn't cued into it until that point. Yeah, and it's really interesting. So if if folks are familiar with those, you know, Arabian Nights, Thousand and One's, One Tales, you know how the framing narrative is that this woman... She has had to marry this king whose last wife was unfaithful. And so his new plan is every day he's going to marry a virgin and every the next morning he's going to behead her. That's his big plan. Mm-hmm. Very Henry VIII, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so this queen comes up with the idea that what she's going to do is she's going to tell a gripping story every night. And just before dawn, she'll hit a cliffhanger so that he doesn't want to kill her so that she can live to see another day. And that's kind of what's going on here Basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do love, too, that we're really immersed in this idea of the power of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then particularly from my perspective, I love that we're talking about horror as a gateway to not just misfits and outsiders, but also that it can be acceptable and it does have a certain power to it. I read more than one review. Um, Again, I was back on Goodreads reading reviews, but I read more than one review that said that like, (laughs) if you're an author, even if you're not YA middle grade, which is sort of where this is pitched, Mm -hmm. you should read it anyway, because it's a good book about um, overcoming writer's block. And I was like, oh, Ah. yeah, it kind of is, actually. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes that means you have to go into a magical nursery filled with black lights and little creatures. But, uh, (laughs) you know, whatever helps. Totally. So should I tell the people what the book's about, Joe? Maybe just a little, yeah. Okay, so um, our protagonist is Alex, and Alex has kind of a secret, not really a secret, he loves writing horror stories, he's passionate about horror films, he writes these short stories, but um, his obsession with horror has sort of made him a bit of a social pariah, and his older brother, who is not a character in the film, but is an important character in the book, makes him feel quite miserable and small about his fascination with horror and so one night he decides he's going to try to be a normal kid and he packs up all his writings and he's on his way to the apartment boiler room to burn them which by the way can you just get into apartment boilers i've lived in rentals my whole life and have never encountered an actual boiler room uh i think you can in brooklyn okay fair 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 (laughs) 
But on a funny thing happened on the way to the boiler room <laughs> because he comes across sort of a apartment door that's just ajar and in it he can hear all these horror movies playing. So he sneaks in to see what's going on and ruh he's trapped by a witch. Yes. And the witch keeps him in this incredible apartment that can grow and shrink depending on what she needs it to do. It's a magical apartment. <laughs> he can't escape. If he jumps out a window, he's sort of thrown back into the room. He can't do anything except sort of wait to see what the witch wants for him. And what she wants for him is to tell her a new scary story each night because the apartment loves to hear scary stories. We're told the apartment loves to hear scary stories. Mm -hmm. And the apartment creaks and crumbles and shakes until it hears a scary story that keeps it calm. And ultimately, that's the bit. <laughs> that's, that's what's happening in the text. Mm -hmm. There's another little girl who's also trapped in the apartment whose name is Yasmin. Yep. Okay, I couldn't remember if that was just her movie name. Okay, Yasmin. Yep. And she's responsible for tending to the plants that she grows my favorite plot point in the book is that the witch sells like potions and things and crystals to like, you know, kooky new agers, basically, who don't mm -hmm. know they're actually buying from an actual witch. Yeah. And that's uh, Yasmin's job is to raise the plants and grow or raise the plants and mix the potions. Yes. So ultimately, obviously, they try to escape. Alex is troubled by writer's block and he can't write new stories. And so he's okay for a while because he has all these old stories that he was on his way to throw out, except they ultimately get destroyed because one of the creepy creatures from the, it's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole thing in there. So I'm not going to go into it. Anyway, a creature escapes and it shreds up and destroys his story. So now he's like in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. And because he spends all his time in the library, he's been able to peruse other texts at first just looking for inspiration but then he finds these notes in the margin that suggest that there is a girl who has escaped they call her the unicorn girl and he and yasmin team up to try to create a potion that will make the oh witch gosh. fall asleep so that they can escape out the back door i know Move joe but what on. part am i supposed to on. skip what part do you want me to skip <laughs> Unicorn Girl is actually the witch. The house is alive because that's the original witch. And then they release the original witch and battle, battle, battle. They escape and we're good. Okay, fine. Hansel fine. and Gretel the old witch. <laughs> they do Hansel and Gretel the old witch. That part's pretty satisfying. It is. Yeah. And it's fun because I think so much of this book feels familiar. And yet there's a couple of parts that genuinely took me off guard. Like Brian, my husband figured it out way sooner than me, but I never clued in that Natasha is unicorn girl until the twist. And I thought, Oh, you know what? That's clever. That's a good subversion. Yeah, I didn't catch it either until the twist for sure. <laughs> Which makes me think, oh, I can't catch a twist in a <laughs> middle grade fiction book. But I think That's part fine. of it was just, I was immersed in this. I got mm -hmm. all wrapped up in it and I was along for the ride. I was too. I really enjoyed the book. I felt like the pacing was extremely good for how long mm -hmm. it is. Like, it's like, it's a pretty lengthy book for a middle grade. And I felt like it clipped along. I was mm -hmm. eager and excited to see what happened next. I really cared about both Yasmin and Alex. Um, yeah, no, I, I, this was a good book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I think at the end of the day, the things that I took away was, you know, we're, we're very much hitting on some classic messaging for particularly middle graders, right? We've got mm-hmm. the value of friendship, not judging people based on what their interests are. Being yourself. Be yourself, yes. And even a little bit about like responsibility when it comes to getting power, right? Because at the yeah. end of the book, when we discover that Natasha is actually Unicorn Girl, I love this idea that she actually had an out. So she could have left and instead she realized there's nothing out there for me. So mm-hmm. I'm going to just stay here and get used to this power and cultivate it. But of course, the funny thing is, is that she becomes the thing that she was so afraid of, right? Like she's now the one who's imprisoning children. She's now the one who is trying to satiate this house uh, in order to prop up her own magical abilities. Well, it is this fascinating, I don't know, almost like a study in a study in darkness, a study in evil, a study in why people compromise their values. Like, mm-hmm. ultimately, Natasha enjoys the power that she yeah. has acquired. And that's really, uh, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really... Um, I found it kind of relatable, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> it's true. It's like, well, I'm trapped in this house, and like everybody else has died, because that's another thing that the children who have upset the witch are turned into basically little um, statues. Mm-hmm. Well, in Natasha's tenure, previously they were just eaten. Oh yeah, they did used to get just eaten. And actually, I have a question, Joe, because in the book, at the end of the book, all those kids get released, right? Yes, correct. But at the end of the film, I guess we'll talk about that when we get to the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not quite the same situation, because no. I think they're trying to tease uh, future film? installments. Because I didn't actually do my homework, and I didn't look, is Night Books the first of a series of books by J.A. White? I don't know hang on i have goodreads open in my doesn't look like it no no it's not it's a standalone so former middle graders and parents of middle graders might know the thickety series uh jay white is the writer of the thickety series and also the shadow school series and these are very popular with the middle grade set i know from perusing the scholastic book order form (laughs) that we talked about (laughs) just last week You can get all of these and people are very excited about it. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I think that, I think that it's not, I think it is a standalone, but uh, I think Netflix is uh, not treating it as such, but we'll get there. (laughs) Yes. They're hedging their bets on franchise potential. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there is this darkness that runs through it because Natasha has ultimately chosen to hurt people and Mm -hmm. Alex has chosen to sort of reject his core self and yasmin has chosen to forsake the very notion of friendship like that's Mm -hmm. what trauma has done to all three of these people and yes it's a it's a spooky middle grade with things that make you jump but it's also like it's talking about some pretty profound issues and like how we relate to each other and what trauma does to us. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned, you know, there's obviously this correction to 1001 Arabian Nights. There's a connection. I, I definitely got a bit of a Cheshire cat vibe oh, yeah. from Lenore, who is the invisible cat that initially appears to be watching over them and tattling to Natasha if they don't do their work and is later revealed to actually be a bit of a prisoner inside the house as well. Yeah, I love I love Lenore, obviously. I love a cat. <laughs> love a cat. She's not hairless in the book, is she? No, she is not. She's okay. supposed to be very large and I think orange. Like I got the impression of a large tabby. 
I got the impression of Georgie, basically, when I was reading the book. (laughs) So in the film, it's a sphinx, and that totally threw me off at first. Yeah, it's very disarming, but I think that they were trying to lean into the spookiness, because there's something, I think for some people, there's something unnerving about a hairless cat. I know people who love hairless cats, like really love their hairless cats, and everybody Mm -hmm. swears to me they're actually quite soft, but oh, They are, yes. Oof. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's just something a little bit weird about like no but where's your fur <laughs> exactly <laughs> what did you do with it and in this context did you sell your fur to a demon right <laughs> <laughs> so i'm interested from your perspective as somebody who's not maybe quite as well versed in horror stuff did you appreciate that kind of spookiness here because i love the idea that the apartment will specifically cater to whatever your personal interests are to attract and snare children so in alex's case it's night of the living dead which is totally one of the classic zombie texts so i i found this whole thing quite spooky i wouldn't say it was like unsettlingly scary scary, but definitely spooky i definitely had some good jumps like in the nursery scene which we'll talk about probably more when we talk about the film Mm -hmm. i definitely found the book version much scarier yeah and much more unpredictable like i wasn't actually hmm how do i want to frame this there's something about the way j.a white writes these characters that even though we only have basically four characters, if you count the cat, mm-hmm. I was at no point convinced that they were all going to make it out of the story. Oh, absolutely not. I figured the kids would. I thought we would either lose the cat or we might have to leave someone behind. Like yes. there might be a martyr or a sacrifice. And so that entire scene in the nursery where they are all in so much, as my four-year-old would say, peril. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was really quite tense through that whole scene. Like, I think it really works. And I could see it being a great sort of baby level, intro level scare book on the level of like a Goosebumps for kids, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, in many ways, it's sort of like, there's far more characterization and far more development of these four characters than we would expect in something like like a Goosebumps or a Fear Street. But it is that level of spook, I would say. Yeah, uh, I I would say Goosebumps is probably more appropriate because Fear Street's a little bit more traditionally YA. Oh, okay. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think the amount of character development, Mm -hmm. it surprised me. Like, I don't think that there's anything spectacularly profound, per se, about the book. No, but it's very well written. Like, genuinely very well written. Yes. Yeah, like, such a marvel. I breezed through this book. Like, it was such an enjoyable, and I want to say kind of light read, but not in a discriminatory kind of condescending way. Like, it was just so enjoyable. And I was on this adventure with these characters and really relating to them, to their struggle. And then, yeah, there's these very cinematic level action passages where i'm like yeah search those books yeah get out of that nursery Ooh, don't don't eat that witch's house <laughs> it's true there is something cinematic about it that's the exact right word for those scenes where they are climbing the ladders and mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly the right word for it. Really, really enjoyable book. And yes, breezy for the length of it, for the depth of the characterization, and for the fact that it's like not at all my genre, so to speak. <laughs> um, really super enjoyable read. I strongly recommend it. And I think anybody who's listening who has middle graders in their life who are like a little bit the outsider or feel a little bit like the class weirdo, which mm-hmm. I mean, I can relate to. Oh, sure. I strongly recommend this as a Christmas book. I think a Christmas gift or like a, you know, this is like a, this is a book from your cool aunt. Yes. It should be a book from your cool aunt. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Allow me to just orchestrate people's lives. <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> well, let's maybe transition over to the film and we can talk about whether we feel it's as successful. Cool. Any reason I should let you live? I write scary stories. I'm going to need a story every night. Or it's the last thing you'll ever do. You all try and run. There's no escape. Don't just stand there. Come on, I'm Yasmin. Are you a prisoner too? Yeah. The apartment can do magical things. It travels all over the world and has room to hold anything. What's that? This is your life now. Forget your family. Focus on being useful to the witch. Write scary stories. Because if you don't, you'll be lucky if she kills you. All right. So as we mentioned, Night Books came out earlier this year on Netflix. It is directed by David Yarofsky. He is actually well known in horror circles for directing a... It's kind of a bad Superman child movie called Brightburn. It's basically Hmm. what if Superman was a child who went evil. Not a good recommendation for you, Brenna. (laughs) Quite scary. (laughs) So this was written by Mickey Daughtry and Tobias Iconis. And as you mentioned, the movie doesn't expand on the range of characters. So really, we only got three actors. We've got Winslow Fegley as Alex, Lydia Jewett as Yasmin, and Kristen Ritter as Natasha. And I'm just going to put it front and center The casting of Kristen Ritter is genius. Yeah, she's perfect. She's the absolute perfect witch. She's gorgeous, and Mm -hmm. her hair is amazing. And there's this one scene, her costuming is like, Mm -hmm. I don't know who did the costuming on this picture, but they know what they're doing. At one point, she's wearing these like turquoise platform shoes, and she's like tottering across the floor at them. And it's just like... It's just perfect. She's perfect. I loved her in this. Joe, Mm -hmm. you know how I never notice anything about anything? Yes. Did you notice that the writing team on this film was the same as a film that you had eh, feelings about a couple years ago at TIFF? What one was that? Or maybe not TIFF, but you saw Five Feet Apart. Maybe you saw it as a screener. Oh, yes, yes. I did not love that one. Yeah, this is the writing team behind that. Hmm. 
I mean, it's interesting because that one was actually very tropey. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of one of the things that I didn't like about it is that it felt like it was only doing the bare minimum in terms of like, how can we emotionally manipulate our audience into mm. feeling bad? Because it, it's one of those... Um, sad disease yeah it's a cichlid movie yeah and it was a weird one we almost did it on the show and then we backed off from it but it's one where the film came first and then there was a novelization that came out afterwards that was getting quite quite significantly pushed Mm -hmm. which we have done one novelization on the show but we haven't done more than that this is true yeah Mm -hmm. at the time we were kind of like well maybe not and i guess we could revisit it if people were really interested well, you're really selling it. <laughs> it's not a bad movie. It's just that there's missed opportunities. Ooh. Whereas I would actually say that with this film adaptation, I feel like we've had a really good run yeah, lately where the adaptations have been quite strong. They yeah. have a good sense of what makes the book work. Mm-hmm. And then they're able to capitalize that in a cinematic medium. I will say, though, I think we teased this when we were talking about the book, I was disappointed with the whole plant nursery action segment in the film. And I think part of it is actually a sense of scope. Joe, I gotta tell you. Yes. Sorry, finish your thought and then I'll tell you mine. Okay, very quickly. In the book, it feels like this room is long and cavernous and very dark and... And it twists and like yes. sometimes they can't find the cat and they can't see each other. And they're mm-hmm. like, there's all these, I imagine it like all these lab benches kind of laid out and they get yeah. stuck between them and under them and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the film version is basically just a relatively large room with a giant dance floor size like there's no furniture in the middle of the room Mm -hmm. and it's like you can just see everything because it kind of looks like a batman and robin day glow video okay so i have all these extra vacation days i'm using up and so i've i've had all my i've had all my tuesday afternoons off so i've been using them during our spooky month i've been using tuesday afternoons as a time to watch the spooky movies that devin won't watch with me Right, and also because you don't want to watch them at night because you're a big scaredy cat. Because I don't want to watch them at night because I'm a big Mm -hmm. scaredy cat. And this scene (laughs) in particular, so this scene genuinely spooked me in the book. Like, I thought it was so well done, so tense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like tense thriller as opposed to like, oh, I'm actually terrified kind of thing. Right, yeah, yeah. So I like, I got to the scene, I was kind of like, I was sort of like working on my planner and watching the first bit of the movie. And then we got to that scene and I was like, okay. Here we go. So I paused it mm-hmm. and I went and got snacks and I got like all cozy <laughs> and I okay. like sat and I was like, okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to wa- I got the cat. I locked the cat in the room with me. I was like, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, that mm. <laughs> wasn't scary at all. No, not so much. <laughs> it's actually, I find the dramatic conclusion, like the climax of the film when they're going into the candy house. Yes. And then Alex has to go down this red stairwell that I was convinced was going to turn into a slide at some point. Yes. And it doesn't, but it's very narrow. And the way that the camera work frames everything, it's not quite Dutch angle, so it's not quite on a tilt, but it was very unnerving because it really felt like there was a sense of uncertainty that anything could happen at this moment. And admittedly, when he gets down to the bottom and it's again just a weird cavernous space with like a large coffin, (laughs) I was like, oh, that's also a little bit visually underwhelming. It's interesting because you pointed this out via text to me this week, but it's kind of a problem of scope, right? Because 
the library scenes have the grandeur that we expect the library Mm -hmm. is massive and it's these ladders like wind up and up Mm -hmm. and up and up forever like you would definitely get a nosebleed it was exactly what i expected yes it's huge and so when the nursery is so underwhelming by comparison it's confusing if the scope of the library had not had not kind of hit its mark mm-hmm. i feel like the nursery scene wouldn't have been so dramatically yes. kind of lacking and then they could have saved all the oomph for the end the maybe but yeah. as it is they've just it's out of balance like it's really important in the book that the library and the nursery are almost like equally mystical spaces but from mm-hmm. alex's perspective that trip to the nursery for the first time is the same time when all hell breaks loose right yes and so it's really important that it be kind of confusing and mm-hmm. overwhelming. And yeah, it was it was a missed opportunity. But yeah. let me Instead just say... Instead it's like, oh, okay, we're, we're dropping monster Christmas ornaments. I felt like the film was more of an action film yeah. in a lot of regards. Like particularly in this scene, it's almost Jumanji-esque. Like, yes! ooh, creatures are running around. We've got to stop them before they get to the exit. Although, can I just say, the face on those creatures, genuinely very scary. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't want to sound like I'm coming down on the film because I actually did really like the film as well. One of the things that was very interesting was to see a bunch of my horror colleagues cover this film because it's Netflix. It's a relatively high profile spooky season entry Mm -hmm. with a well-known actress in the default lead. Mm Mm-hmm. So it got a lot of coverage, and one of the things that people said was that this is a great gateway horror Mm. film. So, Mm. like, if you are gently easing your preteen into horror, and you don't want something that's too scary, but is admittedly still pretty scary, Mm -hmm. this is a great entry. Mm. I can see that. It worked for me. (laughs) Yeah, and I kind of think of you in those situations where it's not that you won't I'm sample your preteen, things. Joe. You're you're my preteen sample size for <laughs> horror films. Yes. <laughs> also I just want to circle back and quickly give credit to costume designer Autumn Steed because oh. uh it's one of those things that we should say, oh, there's a person who legitimately worked on this. So we'll give her her due. Good, because astonishingly good work. The other thing we have to talk about is Mm -hmm. the witch who... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you're not familiar with the story, basically... It becomes Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, once they put Natasha to sleep and they escape out the back door, it effectively becomes Hansel and Gretel. So now it's two kids lost in the wilderness together and they Mm -hmm. come upon a house made of candy. Yeah. Um, And the witch, like... Natasha has kept the witch trapped in this house made of candy and she's kept her subdued with these scary stories. And she's been siphoning off her magic. Mm -hmm. So as a result, the witch has become kind of like at one with the house. And so like her skin is like candy, which I know that I'm saying that out loud and it doesn't sound scary. But like imagine a human face, but like with the texture of like candy sticks and like as Mm -hmm. pieces fall off of them, it looks like sort of like melted old candy. Mm -hmm. It's very scary when you're looking at it that's all i'm saying very scary yeah like if folks are having difficulty imagining this i would encourage you to think of some of the prosthetics that showed up in the pirates of the caribbean movie so like when characters had like barnacles growing out of their faces it's like that only it's with candy so it's both 
frightening and horrifying, but also kind of surreal and beautiful. Yes. And then one particularly cinematic touch that I thought the movie did a great job of is at the end of the film when they push the witch into the boiler room. Because, of course, you don't introduce a boiler room without paying it off. So they push her in, and because she's got all this candy affixed to her skin, the way that we show her, instead of having her beat against the glass and, you know, having her melt or something like we've seen other cinematic witches do, we get these shots of the candy melting and frying and bubbling. (laughs) And it tells you everything that you need to know about what's happening to her without actually having to show you a melting figure, which would be way too horrifying for the intended audience. You know, it's really well done. I will say I was such a mom and I was like, there's no way they could be holding their hands against that furnace door for this long. They would absolutely <laughs> burn their hot. skin. Children. It's no, too no, no. Hot. Don't do that. But there's something about there's something about the use of candy here. And this is probably something, Joe, that people who are more sort of sophisticated in the genre will roll their eyes at me about. But mm-hmm. it's almost uncanny to take something that you associate with joy and happiness and sweetness and Mm -hmm. sugar and like render it so unsettlingly evil yeah i thought it was really really effective upsetting but really really effective it's interesting that you say that because i think that's one of the strengths of this particular movie adaptation is the way that it subverts our traditional definitions of what a witch is right we're used to old hags with warts and bent over you know bad backs and humps and that kind of stuff and instead here we have a scary candy witch who's playing a bit more to the traditional hag model and then we've got this young vibrant like honestly Kristen Ritter looks like she stepped out of a contemporary version of Clueless oh my god Joe can I just I have to interrupt here to say this woman is two years older than me and she looks just a decade stunning. younger I just can't stunningly even... gorgeous I mean she has a hair and makeup team Brenna let's not forget <laughs> that her job <laughs> is to fair. look beautiful in part but That's yeah fair. but wow it is really hard to underestimate how much charisma and mm-hmm. presence she's bringing this. And then they augment it by, you know, giving her a flash of blue eyes when she gets scary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll deepen her voice digitally when she becomes threatening. But a lot of this performance is just it's bubbly menace. And yes. that's why she's so perfect for this role. <laughs> it's like, what if Zoe Deschanel wanted to murder you? yes only i would say more charismatic because i find zoe deschanel not particularly great okay maybe more specifically just from new girl wanting to murder you okay there we go yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) well it's funny because i know kristen ritter primarily through her television show Mm. which was don't trust the bee in apartment 23 so when i said i was watching this i just kind of said i'm gonna check out the witch in apartment 4b Because I'm clever. clever. Follow me on social media. (laughs) That was clever, Joe. I like that. That show, I won't say it was criminally underrated because obviously now people really love it, but I don't think it got its due in its moment. No, it was underseen is how I talk about it. Yeah. James Vanderbeek was very funny. (laughs) Yes, he was. Revelatory. I love that role for him. Okay. Okay. Here is one qualm that I had, and that is the way the stories are truncated and rendered in the film. Oh, yes, I'd completely forgot until you texted me about this. And then when I was watching the film, because you watched it first, I watched the film and just thought, oh, what a wasted (laughs) opportunity. Because, okay, one of the things 
that surprised me about the book is how much I enjoyed Alex's stories. I have to confess that usually when I'm reading a book about a writer and they have examples of their writing in the book. You're like, no, don't do that because it's mm -mm. never going to live up to my expectations. No, and honestly, I usually skip those. Like, especially if they do something handy, like they put them in a different font. I'm like, cool. I see you when the font comes back. I just skip them. (laughs) I hate it. See you in five pages, suckers. (laughs) If you read a lot of like literary fiction, like I have been forced to through my career you read a lot of books about writers yes because that's all writers like to write about brenna let me tell you about the creative process it's (laughs) scintillating exactly like boo (laughs) so let me just put that out there as my own bias but what surprised me about the way j.a white does it and i can't really put my finger on why and i meant to actually go back and revisit and i just didn't But, like, the stories themselves are quite nicely self-contained. They're Mm -hmm. short, but they're punchy. They're really punchy. They're almost like little pieces of flash fiction. They're super effective while simultaneously feeling totally like the kind of story a 12-year-old would write. Mm -hmm. It's very well done. I don't know if you've read it, but they're very similar and kind of evocative of scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes, that's the vibe I got. Or the other vibe that it really gave me was sideways stories at Wayside School vibes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which was totally a favorite of mine when I was a middle grader myself. Mm -hmm. So I will admit, because you you do point this out that I do this, I get it too attached to components of the book and then I'm too (laughs) critical of them in the film. So I... Man, they're not exactly how I want it. (laughs) I'm owning that. Okay. But the film makes two choices in showing the stories. One, Mm -hmm. it scales them way back, which I get for pacing and stuff. Sure. I get that. So often what we get is a few lines of a story and a cutaway. Mm -hmm. Natasha is a lot more critical of the stories in the film than she is in the book. In the book, she's quite delighted by Alex's stories, which is not really a, at first anyway, which is not really a dynamic that you get in the film. No, they're very combative throughout the entire film. And then they shoot them in like this kind of... hate it. Almost black and white sort of... It looks like it's trying to evoke maybe old-fashioned horror, maybe? Uh, maybe. It's almost stop-motion-y in the herky-jerky editing of it. Yeah. I was very disappointed because I would have thought that these stories would lend themselves really well to some kind of animated format. And I don't know, again, if this was my bias where I was thinking of... There's been a couple of recent examples. Most people will automatically go to like Harry Potter, the final Mm. two films, where they do like a marionette version Mm -hmm. of a story. And it often makes for a really visually dynamic interpretation. In my head, one one sort of version that I had going in my head were sort of like these almost like stick figure animation, like as if Mm -hmm. a kid, like a 12-year-old kid was drawing the story and and that as the animation was kind of what i was imagining yeah and instead it's live action but it's with entirely different actors that Mm -hmm. we don't know Mm -hmm. and just kind of badly done yeah like it looks cheap and not good part of the issue with the way they address the stories and obviously we liked the film like we've Mm -hmm. both said we really enjoyed it but part of the issue with the way they address the stories is that as a result, stories are actually not very central to the film at all. No, no. <laughs> Whereas the book is all about story and the power of story and mm-hmm. how how we use stories and how stories can subvert our expectations. That's what the book is all about. 
Yeah, film, not so much. Not so much. Like, it's okay. What the film does instead is more focus on this idea of sort of being yourself and friendship, which for mm -hmm. middle grade text makes so much sense. But yeah. it was almost like, I know they couldn't like just drop the stories, but I don't know. The way they dealt with them was just wholly unsatisfying. Yeah, I'd be curious to know if people just watched the movie and Ooh. hadn't read the book, if it bothered them as much, mm -hmm. if only because I think there's also a lot of comedy that's derived from this, like not just the way that Natasha claps back at Alex when he supposedly gets things wrong, but also in the way that the title card and the super ominous music for the stories are basically Alex was like, okay, I'm going to read you the story and then we'll get a smash cut to this like garish cursive red red that's yeah. the name of the story and it's like oh and then natasha will be like mm, i don't know about that yeah, yeah. <laughs> i found that delightful and far more enjoyable than the actual depiction of the stories themselves yeah which again i just think is a shame because it's one of the few times it's ever worked for me in fiction so i was pretty <laughs> excited about it for the film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as it is jay white should I mean, I know you can't really have, I was going to say, you should have a career as a flash fiction writer. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's not a thing. But um, yeah. they're good. They're good yeah. flash fiction. No, they really are. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to play a quick round of YA bingo with this? Oh, absolutely. I do. Yeah. Bingo. Not a good bingo. All right. Okay. What have you got? Uh, Netflix Connection. Oh, yes. Also, I checked ahead of time, and we can say it was filmed in the territory now known as Canada. Mm -hmm. As everybody knows, Toronto is basically Little Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, some CGI and some mm -hmm. magic supernatural. Just a little. Yeah. We're definitely on a borrowed time thing yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Because of the writer's block, like the, at that at a certain point, they're just going to have to get out. Yeah, we are running out of stories. It's going to be get out of this house or be eaten or turned into a figurine. Good friendships, because the friendship that emerges between Yasmin and Alex is beautiful. And I mm -hmm. really love in the book, the little epilogue scene where they meet up again. It's very cute. Yeah, I did miss that a little bit in the yeah. film. It's kind of there, but I love the idea because one of the things that they change is that Yasmin doesn't live in New York. The idea yeah. in the film is that the house actually moves locations all over the world. So she's from Washington and it's like she'll parachute in at the end of the film so that they can spend a little bit of time together. But it feels less organic than the idea mm -hmm. that they share custody of Lenore in the same, you yeah. know, kind of couple of blocks. I love that idea. Oh my, and we didn't go back to talk about the end, but basically at the end of the at the end of the film, none of those kids are released and yeah. the witch is still alive. So sequel. Oh, for sure. Which I will watch the heck out of. So oh, I totally bring will it too. on. Bring it on. It would make a yeah. good mini sode for next Halloween if they get their act together. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to add in a little bit of stunt casting. I'm sure people could say, oh, I don't know yeah. who Kirsten Ritter is, but uh, yeah, once you shame see her, you on know who you. She is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to put in a little bit of house porn, even yeah. though I don't love the actual aesthetic, because, of course, the joke is that it was decorated by an old timey witch who has no sense of style. But I did like the idea of a giant cavernous house and particularly an entire library filled with spooky stories that reaches 15 stories up in the air. Yeah, please. Thank you. Please and thank you. I just like the idea of some Brooklyn real estate that expands to be as big as you need it to be. <laughs> yes, please bring it on. <laughs> so I've got two more. Uh, one you can quibble with me on, which is the idea of a dead body. Because mm. in part, the witch is technically not dead, but she is in stasis. 
Well, it's interesting that you say that because I was going to offer up a quibbleable dead body in the form of the children, mm. the children figurines on the shelf. Right. Well, and there's very much the indication that people will be killed if the old witch gets up because she will just full on eat the children. Well, and the idea too, you know, typically when we pull on the dead body trope in a YA book, the dead body is... It's a bit more central. Yeah. Well, I just mean it's providing some kind of like threat or some kind of overarching or some kind of character change. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, both the bodies that we've identified do have that impact in this text. Yeah. Okay, so go us is what we're saying. Yay. And then the final one is the idea of a chosen one. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking a bit more of the book. And it's not just that Alex is the only one who could come in and end up saving the day, but also that he and Natasha are both so alike. They almost yeah. do feel like chosen partners. And it sounds like we're crapping on this movie, but no. I just think that the book is that much more effective. Yeah. I love the idea that Alex and Natasha see versions of themselves in the other and I think it makes more sense when she says, like, why don't you stay here with me and we'll share the power because you mm. are just like me. Yes, yes. Which I think is an important part of the book that's missing from the movie. And also, like, if I'm honest, I kind of picked up this book not expecting very much. And I don't mean mm -hmm. that in a mean way. It's just like, um... I'm almost 40. When I pick up a middle grade book, I don't expect to be, like, deeply charmed by it, typically, right? Uh, Julie Murphy says, ha. <laughs> truth, truth. Julie Murphy is always an exception to every rule. Um, but so I think the complexity and the depth of characterization and the interesting things that White is doing here, you just wanted to see all of that in the film, knowing that's mm -hmm. never possible. Yeah, yeah. And I do think that the film has done an admirable job of capturing certain components Absolutely. and then kind of running with that. And in a way, they're probably making a smarter decision for a film. It's just, yeah, the book is so compelling that it you really, really do want to see everything on the screen. Absolutely. So sadly, that is not a bingo line, although we did get quite close in a number of areas. <laughs> Joe, can I just say, now that we are at the end of Horror Month, how mm -hmm. much I have enjoyed this October more than any other October we've ever done? Yeah, we programmed this really well. We did, and I think we got, I don't want to say we got lucky, but like, <laughs> I wasn't expecting to enjoy Nightbooks as much as I did, and... Mm -hmm. I know what you did last summer. We ended up having some really interesting conversations about... Yes, and Jess was an excellent guest for that conversation. So Indeed. yeah, it's been a really good October. Let's do this again next year. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> uh, so we should probably talk about where we're going next and what people should be reading for book club. Uh, okay, let's start with book club. You should be reading Jeff Zentner's The Serpent King for book club. And if you haven't picked it up yet, you might want to. It's a little bit on the longer side. Okay. But I think that folks who have been asking us to do more male protagonists and people who like it when I go on my major rants about class will really <laughs> enjoy this one. So go pick it up. It's good. <laughs> Things to look forward to. <laughs> and next up is another comic series. We're going to check out Why the Last Man, which Joe and I have both read before, but not mm -hmm. in a while. So we're no. revisiting it and the TV series. And I think, Joe, we're reading the first four volumes and watching the first four episodes. Is that what we're trying to do? Yeah, somewhere around there. I think, okay. I mean, obviously the comic series goes on for 10 full volumes and it does tell a complete story. 
because we've read it, we can sort of talk a little bit about it. But because the TV show has only been on for one season, we're probably not going to need to reference too many of the later volumes. So yeah, uh, four and four, folks. Aim for that. Awesome. So yeah, that's where we're at. You are reading Serpent King. You're reading and watching Why the Last Man. They can get a hold of us how? I'm about to say that. Okay, okay. (laughs) I was gonna say, if you want to get a hold of Joe uh, and thank him for this excellently programmed Spooky Month. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B Still My Remote and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you want to get both of us, we're on the hashtag HKHSPod or on Twitter at HKHSPod. Or you can send us something longer, especially your book club thoughts, HKHSPod at gmail.com. Yeah. All right. This was fun, Joe. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I will, I will uh, wish for you a giant library. <gasps> oh, so delightful. <laughs> Don't wish me that horrifying nursery. Thanks. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and until next time folks i'll see you on the page and i will see you on the screen